You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Clap, 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 clap your hands and stomp your feet. You're listening. You're listening to the Clap Your Hands Podcast. Hosted by Elliot Shore Parks and Kyle Newbeck. Here they come. What's going on, everybody? This is the Clap Your Hands Podcast brought to you by Odyssey Sports, brought to you by Sports Radio 94 WIP. A reminder off the top, if you're listening, please hit that auto-download button. You get the latest episodes first. Leave those five-star reviews because, Kyle, it's about to be playoff time. But, man, I come to you today on this pod just going to be honest off the top, like an emotional, conflicted man. I just, I don't know how to feel about this team right now. I'm hoping this this pod can be my free therapy session uh, from you about it because watching that game last night, just, I don't know, maybe it's because the Phillies got swept too. I'm very much thinking about expectations versus reality, when to panic, when not to panic. But man, that was just, that game versus the Bucks was not what I was uh, not what I was hoping for. It was the it was not the night I expected to get out of what felt like the night Embiid could have wrapped up MVP. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those where you could easily get swept up in it and be like, "Oh man, they weren't they clawed back into it, but they were never really in that game. They had this awful right. start to the game, and you start doom spiraling like Milwaukee's looking better to end the season and yeah." Embiid has had a rough, not a rough, but like a subpar past week or so. And they're going to probably lose to the Celtics now on Tuesday. And it's just doom and doom and doom. I actually think that for the most part, the first half of that game or the first quarter of that game, which is really the only gap between the two teams over four quarters, is that this, the Bucks just shot the lights out. And yep. I don't think it was something where... There were definitely some moments after the Bucks hit some tough shots where you could see the Sixers almost feeling sorry for themselves and they were not as locked in and engaged on defense. But, you know, Chris Middleton hitting a fadeaway jumper with Joel in his face right inside the three-point line. It's like there's nothing you can do about that. Brooke Lopez hitting the crazy floater contested from like 18 feet. Nothing you can do about that. Like there were a bunch of shots early in that game which is essentially when the game was decided, sadly, that I just chalk up to it's one of those nights. And I think something I think people forget that they should keep in mind as they look at these big games and even going into the playoff series, especially into the playoffs, is that the Toronto series where they pushed the eventual champions to seven games. And I think people still view that as you know the best team they've had or best postseason performance that mm-hmm. they've had pretty clearly up to this point in the Embiid era, most of that series was trading blowouts in both directions. First game of the series in Toronto, the Sixers stunk it up. Close game two, the Sixers win. Jimmy Butler was really good. 
Sixers blow them out in game three. Joel does the the airplane. It looks like right. everything is heading in their direction. Close loss to Toronto in game four because Kawhi is a robot. And then games five and six are basically just blowouts in either direction. Toronto looks like they end the series with the big performance in game five. Sixers come back in game six and game is never close. We obviously know what happens in game seven. So like losing badly to a very good team doesn't have to mean anything other than you lost and played bad in one game, right? It's I would be more concerned if I looked at whether it's the Bucs, whether it's the Celtics, any other team they might meet during this playoff run. I would feel worse if I felt, man, this team just doesn't have answers. They don't have a way to adjust or they don't have high level talent. And I don't feel that way. Like, I don't think that's the case. They're two and two against the Bucs in the regular season this year. They won. Middleton didn't play, but James Harden didn't play. And Maxi mm-hmm. got hurt at halftime in uh, one of those wins. They have a crazy comeback, score 48 points in a quarter against one of the best defenses in the league in the win in early March. And so if you try to look at the big picture, and that's kind of my job, and you can be yeah. Mr. Emotions over there. <laughs> I, I don't think it has to mean anything other than they didn't have it last night. And look, it's dispiriting in a lot of ways. I get it. James Harden, awful. Joel Embiid, not good. Doc Rivers, not good. The, really the only big positive from that game is that Maxi was awesome. I thought he took advantage of Chris Middleton, who I brought up on previous podcasts, has not been – he's never been a great defender, but he's been worse this year and just looks ill-equipped to deal with a lot of guys in the playoffs that he's going to have – did I just, did my video just cut out? Yeah, there? you did. You're back now. For a split second, I, I thought know. we were completely done. But we're still rolling. It's uh, I don't know. know what happened. Um, <laughs> so anyway, so I think it can just be one loss, albeit a uh, a disappointing loss and a disappointing performance overall. So, yeah, so the game itself, I think what was deflating about the game itself was it was just over so quick. And I know they made a run in the third. And look, Let's be honest. Like we've, I've been pretty positive about Doc on this pod. I think the job he's done is somewhat underrated. But if you're someone that doesn't like Doc and has concerns about him, last night was exactly the reason. Like his refusal to keep Embiid in the game when he has four fouls, when you see other teams do it, it's unbelievable. Jan, the Bucks literally did it last night. I think it was an eight or ten point game with when Embiid went out. By the time he's back in, it's like sixteen or eighteen points, and it feels like it's completely over. The Bucks kept Giannis in with four fouls. Doc didn't, and the game's over. Like so, while I do think that coaching can be overrated at times, and we've we've had this discussion, it's the players, it's not always Doc. All these things. Last night was a very clear cut example of the disadvantage to a certain extent this team is going to have when they get into the playoffs. And I don't even think the Bucks are some amazingly coached team, but Doc got flat out out coached last night. But it isn't even just that moment. I think what what has me feeling so conflicted about this team is that it feels like for two months, right, I, I was defending them, not just on this pod, but on WIP, on Twitter. Everyone's like, don't believe in them. They're just going to do it again to you, like, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then it feels like it, over the past two weeks, whenever there's been a check-in moment with this team where it's like people get really excited and it's like, all right, let me check the Sixers out. They've lost. Like, Embiid gets close to MVP. He immediately hurts his cap. The Sixers get on a bit of a run. They lose three straight on the West Coast. Then this Bucks game feels like it's going to be the moment where 
Embiid's favorite on favorite at MVP again. Him and Harden are playing. Like, and I will say it was a more important game for the Bucs. Like, realistically, the Sixers are not playing for anything right now. They're gonna be the three seed. They're not gonna slip to four. They're not gonna jump to two. The Celtics have a better chance of getting the two. I think they're what two back now as of last night, something like that. So they at least have a somewhat realistic chance. Like the Bucs needed that more to clinch to clinch the one seed. But at the end of the day, it was just deflating to see the Sixers come out yet again and just blow it in a big spot. So while I think they're a great team, I do think they're talented. And I agree with a lot of what you're saying. I really do. Like the blowout loss, I don't think is indicative of what would happen in the series against the Bucs. They're two and two against them. I think they would have a chance to win it. But I think, you know, when there's so much baggage around the team and there's baggage around the Sixers right now, losses just, they hurt more. Because when, when you start to believe... They, they go out and they do that. And if they would have lost a close game, it would have, you know, it is what it is. But just to so instantly be out of it, it was like, here we go again. Like the all, the all too familiar feeling of feeling like let down by the team immediately crept in in that game. Uh, so I do want to circle back on the doc stuff because, yeah. there, I mean, look, I think that was a game that that reached a point where it was, it was very winnable. I mean, third yeah, quarter, sure. they came out. And I thought the defensive commitment and engagement was really high to start the half. They go on this run. I, I don't remember what they – I think it was within like six points or something like that at, at a certain point. Uh, James Harden picks up his – I want to say his third foul. He got subbed out because he was on his stagger. And then Joel picks up his fourth. And, you know, Giannis had been subbed out earlier with four fouls, but they had the luxury of doing that because – they're the team with the lead. Like they're mm -hmm. allowed to say we can be a little conservative because we played better tonight. Whereas and not just a lead, know, like a double digit lead at that. Yeah. Point. And so then Joel gets pulled and James is already on the bench because they're trying to set up the stagger. You have to make a decision there. Either you have to let Joel play through foul trouble or you have to abandon the stagger plan there and say, James is coming back now. We need him now. Mm -hmm. Like I, We'll play him for the next three minutes. If we have to get by with, you know, all bench to start the fourth quarter, you can't let that game, like the game was there for them to potentially win or at least like make it interesting in the fourth. You you go into the fourth down 14 and Harden is already struggling in that game, has a couple of bad turnovers. All of a sudden it's a 20 point lead. At that point, I would have said, you know, just pack it in. Like don't even bother bringing Joel back. And I think the game is essentially lost there. The other big issue I had and look I don't think anybody on the bench exactly draped themselves in glory last night but Paul Reed is one of the only guys who looked yeah. like he deserved to be on the floor and Doc for whatever reason says I'm pulling him and we're going to play small in a situation where the Bucks are playing small and essentially using Giannis as the center I cannot think of a worse matchup to play small against than you trying to use George Niang as yep. essentially your five against Giannis Antetokounmpo <laughs> as, yeah. as a small ball five. Just a horrible, horrible setup for the Sixers. And, you know, that's just strictly a doc decision. And I can't believe that that was the route he chose to go there. What do you think Maury thinks when Doc takes him beat out with four fouls? Because I think that, you know, 
and I don't want to use like analytics because I think sometimes that muddies up what is just basically a basketball conversation. But I do think there's somewhat two schools of thought. Like one is you take him out because he's in foul trouble and you want to save him to the end of the fourth or more meaningful minutes. But the flip side of that is you're essentially fouling him out yourself because you're taking him out of the game. Like he's being removed because of fouls, right? So where do you think, do you think Maury and Doc agree on this philosophy? Because I think it's been a few times this season where Doc has taken him out with four fouls and not allowed him to play through it where he probably would have otherwise stayed in the game. If I had to guess, the answer would be no, they don't agree. Because uh, as you say, if you miss, if you get taken out of the game and you miss 10 minutes or eight minutes or whatever amount of time it is, isn't that in in many ways worse than if you foul out with like three yeah. or four minutes left in the game? I understand that the the final five minutes of a game are, you know, heavily scrutinized. They slow <laughs> down. And so that's when you need your best offensive players and you know Joel is more valuable there than maybe at the end of a third quarter where they can just get away with you know Paul Reed against bench lineups but at the same time like if you take him out for a long time then that that's a totally different story and yeah, I think I mean, Doc has been he never played another meaningful minute in that game yeah I, I, I just, got the hand, it's over I just think that Doc is too conservative in general with that stuff so I Especially with Joel, where Joel is not a guy who fouls out all that yeah. often. Like it's, I know he's been in foul trouble more recently, and I actually think that's kind of an interesting subplot heading into the playoffs. Is does this impact you know his style of play, and is he able to play as hard as he wants to, and the team needs him to to be the best version of himself? In the playoffs, I think that's an interesting question. But like what does what impact? Like just the fact, like why do you think he's getting foul trouble? Like I, it's like I don't know what the reason is exactly, but clearly he's been in the crosshairs of the officials right. a bit more recently. He would have fouled out of uh, the Cavaliers game they won if not for getting a little bit of a uh, a generous yeah. call from the officials there. So I, I just I think it's somewhat interesting that this is happening because I, I think the reputation for him is. He gets every call and blah blah. Mm -hmm. Like he's a free throw merchant and all that, but he's been having to to walk that line more recently. So I'm think. uh, Do you think maybe? And I'm just you know I'm not going to equate myself to Embiid because he's obviously a better athlete than me. But I think as someone that you know play has you know play pickup basketball, I feel like whenever you're tired, you just foul more. Do you think he's he's hurt and like he just can't do as much as you know? It's the end of the season. His calf's bothering him. Like that's part of it, or it's just kind of ebbs and flows of getting calls. It, it could be a little bit of that. I, I know he has verbalized that he's needed more rest or needed a game. Certainly he missed that Denver game that was quite a controversy yeah. around the league. I think it's probably a combination of factors. Though. It's game flow and playing harder on defense where harder isn't always – I don't want to say harder is not always better because you always want them to play hard, but sometimes playing hard comes with playing reckless and you have mm-hmm. to find that, that middle ground between – you know, exerting yourself and putting yourself in danger. That's actually something that, uh, so Jaron Jackson Jr. in Memphis, I think is either going to win defensive player of the year or come close. He'll be top three. And his whole thing is he's one of the most impactful players in the league when he's on the floor, but he's, he plays like 28, 30 minutes a game because the guy's <laughs> yeah. a fouling machine. So that's, uh, it kind of comes with the territory a little bit. We'll have to get, speaking of which, um, isn't he like barely eligible under the new CBA for defensive player of the year? Am I wrong about that? It's actually, yeah. I mean, we can probably talk about some of the CBA stuff later, but yeah, Yeah. I I don't know what his exact game 
games played count is, but he did miss a bunch of time. So, so we'll so see another, if he makes it. Yeah, and, I, and let's remember to get into that. But um, another question I had for you off the Bucks game was, so I think a few times this year we've done pods where we open up, we talk about a game, and we go, well, the other team just shot the lights out. What are you going to do? And I agree with you that the Bucks were hitting tough shots, right? They were. Like, I, there was definitely a few times they were in their face and they hit them. But what do you think of both, A, just the defense in general, but also the effort to start the game? Because I know the Bucks needed it more, but it did kind of feel like the first time in a long time where we've seen the Sixers come out and just look like somewhat lethargic to start the game or just not as fired up as the other team. So I would say the first four, five minutes-ish were fine. I, I think that was when the Bucks just had their crazy shooting run. I did think from maybe like the midpoint of the first quarter until really most of the rest of the half, that's where you saw the the like, woe is me. Oh, mm-hmm. this sucks. And you let things get more out of control than they needed to be. I thought they were – their awareness of the Bucks off ball was really bad. I thought there were a lot of instances, and I include Joel in this. I thought this was a pretty bad defensive game for him where they're just ball watching and they get caught guys in the dunker spot, guys on back cuts, easy layups and dunks that you know, those shouldn't happen. You know, guys, guys make jumpers over you. That's fine. Like that happens, but to get back cut and just totally lose sight of your man while you're trying to track everything else, that's the sort of stuff that's unacceptable. I also thought their dribble penetrate or their perimeter containment of dribble penetration was really bad. I mean, there were some instances where, Drew Holiday just drove straight to the rim and met no resistance the entire time. Yep. And that happened in both halves. I think it slowed down a lot in the second half. So that was bad. I, I do think when you see it in within a game, you can see the difference between engaged, high effort, high intensity defense, which is what I think they showed for most of the third quarter and what we saw in the first half, which was, okay at times, but largely lethargic and kind of disinterested. And again, if people have concerns with that, I've said this many times on this podcast, I do think it's valid to say, if you don't believe in them because they can't consistently play 48 minutes, I think that's absolutely fair because Mm -hmm. I don't think teams go to a different level in the playoffs as a, a general rule partially because they play their best guys, more minutes and so on. But you don't inherently change who you have and and like what your habits are. And I think it's important that we haven't really seen them string a lot of like first quarter to fourth quarter efforts where they blow teams out and they just step on their necks. It's a lot of swings back and forth either way. I know that's the case for, a lot of the NBA here, do you think that happens around the league a lot though it does but i do think that if you're just looking at defense specifically i think that's where you can say the sixers let themselves down a decent amount there like they were they were trending toward being like a top five defense Mm -hmm. at, at times this season now they'll probably be on the fringes of the top 10 which is fine like they're going to win with offense that's their ticket to winning it's how the roster is set up James Harden's on the team, so you're only going to be able to be so good of a defense end of the day. But I do think when you're up against a team like Boston or a team like Milwaukee, I, I just think you have to play 
not perfect basketball, <clears throat> but closer to perfect basketball. And you have to be willing to sell out on defense for basically the entire game. Well, and that's why I think so much of how people view this team is based off of past seasons. And the question is, how do you, how, how much do you really justify that? Like, is it fair to take it into consideration? Cause to your point, like, Yes, we have watched this team not give full effort for 48 minutes, right? But I bet if we watched every Celtics or Bucks game, like you're saying, there would also be those moments, right? But I think the difference is we've seen the Celtics go to a finals. We've seen the Bucks win a, win the title. We've seen the Celtics beat the Sixers consistently. Like, realistically, the only kind of, like, real red flag the Sixers have shown this year is that they can't beat the Celtics. And obviously they have a game coming up and we'll, we'll debate how important that is. But ultimately the Sixers have shown so many signs this year of being a championship team. Embiid's probably going to win MVP. Harden, I'm curious how you think he's looked since he's come back. But for the most part, he's been a top 15-ish player this year, if not for stretches, potentially top 10. They have a great offense, a great defense. So I think that they check all the boxes, but it's just that gut feeling that comes back when they don't play well, where they don't get the benefit of the doubt that I think the other great teams do. And we can debate how justified that is, but I do think a lot of the hesitation with this team and with games like that, because there's no real shame in losing that game. It's one game, you're locked into a seed. It's probably not super indicative of the playoffs, like you said, but I do think it makes you think back to those losses. And the question is, do you think that's fair or not? And by losses, I mean past playoff losses. Yeah, I don't want to lump this team in too hard with the other groups. I think every season is a new challenge. It's certainly a new group. The core of this team is the same, which is why I do think it's fair to say, look, it is Joel who's had his playoff struggles, at least offensively. It is James Harden who, you know, his playoff history is well documented in big games. Tobias Harris, certainly not a big time playoff performer. Is, Is Tyrese Maxey a guy that, you can genuinely lean on in those moments or are the defensive questions going to catch up to him in that spot? And then, you know, the head coach, I think is probably the big one for a lot of Sixers fans. I don't know if it's what people think of first nationally. I think most people are looking closely at the players versus whether doc is going to win a win or lose a playoff series for them. Mm-hmm. But to this point, I saw, I don't remember who it was tweeted out yesterday. If you had to bet on, one of the East favorites losing a first round playoff series, who would it be? And almost unanimously, the answer was the Sixers. And it was, this was opponent neutral. Now keep in mind, these are all fans and what have you from other fan bases. So it's not, it wasn't like a poll of media members or executives or whatever, but that's, that's the reputation they have. People are not expecting Boston to lose, even if they, it looks like they're going to draw Miami in round one, which I think is going to be the toughest opponent any of these contenders are going to get. No one's really thinking Milwaukee will lose to the likes of, you know, Atlanta, Toronto, whoever it ends up being. And so that leaves the Sixers, who they're, that's their past reputation catching up to them. I, I think they are firmly better than any team they're going to play in a first round playoff series. I think they have a puncher's chance against either of Boston or Milwaukee. The problem is they do have that history. They do have some maddening habits. And then on top of that, because of how the seeding is shaken out and because they've struggled in the last you know couple weeks of the season here, they're going to have to win on the road against the two best teams in the conference yeah. just to get to the finals. Like that, That is hard. If they had gotten the two and you at least have home court through round two and – 
you know, maybe that's a coin flip series against Boston. That I think inspires some hope. It's like, all right, if it's a game seven, if this is a tight series, as we think it should be, they at least have home court on their side. Historically, that's a big leg up. Now they just have to straight up be the better team than both of Boston and Milwaukee back to back on the road. And that is, look, that's a, a tough ask of this team. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, it's a tough ask of any team. Like, uh, you know, it's funny you mention um, how other, you know, that that poll where people pick the Sixers. It is funny how many of my friends text me whenever the Sixers struggle and are like, oh, here we go again. Like, told you they weren't. Like, I was at the owners meetings and I got in this heated debate about whether the process worked. Like, people are just like ready. There was to another one it. online yesterday. I saw somebody saying that they tanked for seven years. Was yeah. The, uh... eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, and this whole this whole idea too, where people are like, "Well, you know, before the process, they got to the second round, and now they're just going to get bounced in the second round again." It's like, what a simple way to look at. Like that's just not the way you look at this. But I do think people are are waiting, and I think last night, you know, I tweeted this, but I think last night was just the fuel. If you don't believe in this team, last night was the fuel you needed to to hate on them even more. Like if you were just ready to doubt this team, losing in Milwaukee in that game was everything you needed to just believe it more but question I have for you to kind of maybe shift topics a little is if they're going to beat Boston if they're going to beat Milwaukee we obviously know Embiid's going to have to be great and I think he's shown for the most part he can do that where are you at with Harden like in the beginning of the game he felt like a complete non-factor and frankly Embiid did too but then you look up and he has like 17 points at half or whatever it was but how do you think Harden's looked over these past few games like where are you at with him health-wise you know, I know you weren't in Milwaukee, but you you were, I would assume, in the locker room in Toronto, like or against Toronto. Where are you at with him health wise? How do you think he's feeling? What's your confidence level in him? So I, I think I'm okay with saying that was just a crappy game and we can write it off because the rest of the year against Milwaukee, he was very, very good. Like mm-hmm. his home opener was the only reason they're in the game. He missed the the second meeting that they uh the Sixers won at home. And then obviously the tremendous fourth quarter. I think he had what 38, the, yep. the game that they won on national TV, all that. So I didn't think he dealt with Drew Holiday's pressure well. He didn't deal with doubles well, which that was more surprising. Normally, 
and this goes back to last year, even when he was, I don't want to say hurt, but physically compromised, we'll say. Mm-hmm. Dealing with doubles was the one thing he did awesome. Like if team sent two at him, he found the open shooter. A lot of times it's just George and Yang on the wing over and over and over again until teams figured out you got to try to play him as a scorer. And that's the way to shut down what they wanted to do on offense. So him dealing with doubles so poorly last night was surprising. He did not seem to get the memo that Drew Holiday was sitting on that pocket pass mm-hmm. to uh, to Joel on pick and rolls. And so he threw a, a few turnovers in that that. I mean, they had no chance to stop in transition. It was Drew breaking the other way, ball in his hands, and he's going to score. Nobody's going to catch him. Like that, that probably added six points to the Bucks score in a game that, that, I mean, they could have been tied essentially if those turnovers were eliminated at, at some point in the game. Yeah. And then all the decision making changes, then, you know, everything kind of, it's a butterfly effect type of scenario if Harden just takes care of the ball a little bit. So, I do think he had looked really good physically against Toronto. I, I think he's trending back in the right direction there. I just thought last night was a, a stink bomb. Like he was bad in every way. Does it feel kind of like they survived Embiid and Harden injuries just from a health perspective? Obviously, this someone ended up taking tanking their chances at the two seed because Harden misses, I think, yeah, the whole West Coast trip or at least those three games over the weekend. Embiid misses game, so they fell out of it. But from a perspective of, I think there was probably a day or two, and I think maybe one pod, where we did this in saying, oh man, they might be really hurt. Like Embiid and Harden, this might actually end up tanking their playoff chances. It feels like they've survived that. Do you do you agree in terms of Well, they survived it in the sense that both are on the floor, but they're so far out of two at this point. Well, that's that... what I mean. Like it, it cost them the two seed, but do you have concerns about their health moving into the playoffs? I guess is more of my question. I mean, I not, not at this moment because we went from James saying he's been dealing with something for months to right. looking awesome physically the very next game. And it's like, dude, I don't know what you're, <laughs> what are you trying to tell me here? It's I know. him and Joel with the health stuff are just impossible. It's athletes in general. Like I've been at so many Eagles games where after the game, the guy's like, not in a boot. I'm talking to him. He's like, yeah, I'm fine. I'll probably practice on Wednesday. And then he, he goes on IR Monday. Like as much <laughs> as athletes have the best feel for their body, I think they also are probably the most in denial sometimes. So it's just, very hard to ever get, I think, real accurate answers from them about their own health. It's, you know, some of it's just macho nonsense. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, I'll be fine. And it's like, actually, bro, you broke your foot. Or <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, no, you're not fine. And it's okay to not be fine. Like, you yes. broke a bone or you have a muscle issue or whatever it is. Like, you yeah. can take some time to get your body right. That's well, that's modern the new CBA they can't. But, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll get into that. But so... That. So the Harden and Beat thing, you feel pretty good about them. Um, the next question, you know, this is kind of real what we really wanted to talk about on this pod. So there is what five games left, four games left, something like that. They have Celtics, four Hawks, games left, Nets, right? So four four games left. What's your game plan moving forward? I, I think the Celtics game for me, I do think there there is a uh, not a must win quality to it, but there is something to be said for at least beating the Celtics once before this season ends. I don't think that shifts the tide in terms of how you feel going into the series, but if you beat them once, you can at least say, okay, we did it. We weren't owned for against them. Then there's the flip side of it is they have really nothing to play for. You could argue why show any type of 
I know it's not football, but why show any type of like real game planning in this game to try to win it if you're potentially going to be matched up with them? So the Boston game, but then also the season in general, where are you with just sitting these guys and, and resting them for two weeks or whatever it would be versus playing them in these final games? So I still believe that that Boston game means something just from mm-hmm. a psychological perspective. And, and I think that goes up even further because Boston still has something to play for. Like they could, in theory, edge out the Bucks for the number one seed. It is possible. So they're going to be revved up for it and, and all their games the rest of the way unless Milwaukee clinches that. So I think you should go out there and give it your best effort. Like I don't, I don't think you gain anything – from just throwing that game, that specific game away, because mm-hmm. you go 0-4 against Boston, even if it's a game that you sit everybody, you're not going to have much confidence going into the playoffs. Like Joel has said it before when people talk about it as, oh, they renewed the rivalry and there have been all these series and games in recent years. It's not a rivalry because Boston has kicked their ass over yeah. and over again. Like they've beaten them in multiple playoff series. And this season – even when they sat a bunch of their guys and guys were hurt, Sixers couldn't beat them. Yeah, so still beat them. Yep. I, I do think it's one that you got to go for that one. Uh, after that, I do think there are some interesting decisions to make. I kind of think you go all out against Miami and, and do what you can to keep them locked into the the seven. Now they might end up there themselves anyway. It might not even matter by that point. But if you lock them into seven, then I think the Atlanta and Brooklyn games next weekend are just throw those away, sit the guys, yep. get the young guys minutes, see if Paul Reed can uh, catch Ben Simmons in scoring for the season and, and <laughs> fewer minutes stat. played, yeah. which I'll I'll get into a stat update on that at the end of the podcast. Nice. That'll be our, our sign off. So, yeah, I, I think these next two, I if I was them, I'd play them straight up, just – go into those two as, you know, playoff tune-up type games. And then Atlanta, who cares? Brooklyn, really, who cares? That's the one where you say, don't show them anything more than you need to because you will almost certainly play them in the playoffs. And you can basically guarantee that if you lose to them. So you just lock that matchup in and uh, away you go. So I'm conflicted on this because on one hand, I always think prioritizing health is the right move. Not to to pull the Eagles into this, but every training camp, there's a debate of, do you practice them hard? Do you play them in preseason games? I know this is a little different, but the games are meaningless to some extent, right? We can debate getting reps together, how much that matters. I do think the MVP is worth playing for. I, I think the MVP super matters. I think Embiid getting it would be really, really big for him, really big for the fan base. Like I got into this, this side debate uh, with people. So for me, for my personal sports experience, Iverson winning MVP is one of my favorite sports moments. I'm a like he was my guy growing up. Do you think an MVP can mean just as much to somebody like as a title? Like, do you think that Embiid winning this MVP will feel in some ways like the culmination of them winning it all? Like it feels like such a battle they've been in that if Embiid can win this, I think it would be a huge emotional boost for the team. I don't think it's anywhere close to a title, but I do think to that point that, you know, if he wins it, suddenly all the, the like Eeyore, oh boy, yes, yeah. like that kind of stuff maybe fades to the background. And that finally gives a bit of individual validation that I'm not saying that Joel needs that, but 
to finally get over that hump after you've been so close and so close and so close to be number two the last couple of years. This year in, as we said in the last pod, perhaps the closest MVP race mm-hmm. in the history of media voting. So do you still think he's, it's super close? Huh? Do you still think it's super close? I do. I mean, like, I think part of the reason I think it's super close is it didn't seem like that Bucks Sixers game had many eyeballs on it last night. Like it was mm-hmm. not was not a prime time national TV, whatever game. Right. So Sunday afternoon. I didn't see people were talking about fucking wrestling, which always drives me insane <laughs> on, on social media. I'm like, it's, maybe we can get into that end of the pod. Too. Well, it's so funny on the timeline. Cause I think like you can tell on Twitter sometimes when everyone's watching the same thing. And so you can just tweet like amazing. And everyone knows you're, you're talking about a certain game. It was so funny last night. I'm seeing all these tweets, like what a twist, what a like, and I'm like, what game are they watching? And it's, wrestlemania or whatever but yes it didn't seem I'm like gonna, it was i'm gonna save my wrestling take for the end of the podcast right, I'm totally um, but yeah so like it didn't at least this is my perception i don't know if and i didn't see anyone posting about you know big odds swings right. or, or any kind of like strong takes about the game i don't think people were even paying attention to it that much i mean honestly I, the women's college basketball game had way yeah. more attention on it than uh Sixers bucks, which, you know, say whatever you want about that or why that happened. Well, the taunting um, debate too dominated Twitter. Um, what an insufferable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyway, so I just, I don't think that game really moved the needle in terms of MVP. So I think it's probably still about where it was. Jokic has missed a couple games in the last week. That's a, mm-hmm. another, another He's factor that he helped. didn't really gain anything at, over the last few days. Although he did move up the MVP ladder while, <laughs> not playing in games, which yeah. I thought was that was quite fascinating. So yeah, yeah. If, if, you think, if you think that this is going to make some big psychological difference for Joel, or it's going to put wind in the team's sails or whatever, like yeah, I mean, I I think you could justify playing him a little more than maybe you'd want to. I just I don't think it's like a oh man, he's a champion now type thing. It's still. If he wins the MVP, it's great, and it gives him a little mental boost, but that doesn't clear any of the playoff demons. That just is, hey, I was no, able to but, finally beat out Jokic. No, and look, I obviously a championship, the whole team wins it, the whole city wins it, so there's just a difference to that. But I think what makes people care about a championship so much is that you really care about that team, and you follow the struggles of it, and you're emotionally invested. And I think more so than other players, like when Bryce won MVP, it was cool, but there was no two-year debate on whether or not he's being properly recognized around the league. So this feels like a much more emotionally invested MVP than other ones. So at this point, I think he's going to win it. I don't think there's a ton that can swing it. Um, there's only a few games left. Jokic isn't really playing. Giannis can sit, continues to have really long odds, so maybe I'll just give up on my Giannis is going to steal it take. But it feels like he's going to win it, but I do think it's worth prioritizing um, over these last few games. Now, the question I have for you, you said you thought that the Boston game was a big one. Let's like get into that just a little bit more. What do you think a win over Boston could mean, <clears throat> Excuse me. and what are you looking for in that matchup? Like, Could a win over them swing how you feel about a playoff series? You think this is more just the Sixers – would feel good to see a win against a team they've struggled. I, I think it's more the latter. I, I think you just kind of need to get one under your belt because I mean, transparently they play in the second round. The Sixers are going to be heavy dogs. Yep. They, they've been, 
They have the worst historical record and reputation. They're going to be playing on the road in that series. All the factors are going to be working against them. So, I mean, however you want to split it, what is it like? Say 80-20 Boston wins that series, 70-30, like – However yeah. you want to land on that. Certainly publicly. I mean, I think yeah. with, amongst the Sixers base, you could probably talk yourself into it a little more, but I think they will be like minus 350 to win that series. Like they will be heavy underdogs. Yeah. I, I think Boston is going to be a heavy favorite. So you're now look, you know, as well as I do, sometimes that can end up working in your favor and mm-hmm. in other sports where it's, you play the underdog card. And I just think that's an easier one to play in something like football where it's a one game single elimination and a team can just catch you on an off day. Like you might just have a bad game. Yeah. You took them for granted and all of a sudden they're moving on. Whereas maybe that happens in a, in a game in two games in, in the NBA playoffs. Rarely though, is that happening for a full series? That's why most of the time the best team wins or the better team wins if they're as long as everybody's healthy. So yeah, I think this one is one that you just have to to add to your own mental resolve. If you win this one and then you go down 0-2 or at least one nothing to Boston in the playoffs, you're not all you're not just suddenly like, well, this is over. Like the mm-hmm. sky is falling. They have no way to claw out of this, blah, blah, blah. Like that's why I think you need to get one under your belt because you I I'm not expecting them to go into Boston game one and round two. And win that game, right? Like you're going to say Boston's the heavy favorite for the series, the heavy favorite to win the opening game at home. What you don't want to happen is for the series to spiral because you lose early and you have maybe you have one bad loss and the wheels fall off and and guys start looking. Maybe James starts looking toward the strip clubs in Houston or whatever (laughs) his summer plans are. And Joel's thinking, why am I doing it with this organization where I've never been able to beat Boston? And that's what you don't want to happen. So I, I, you don't want to put too much stock into one game. If they lose, they lose. It's only one game in the, the standings and the schedule. But I do think it would be nice for them to just add that extra bit of resolve for when it really counts. Well, and I do think athletes really built, you know, I think sometimes it can be portrayed as a fan thing where it's, well, they haven't beaten them and, you know, whatever. The athletes I've been around, like I know there's certain teams where a group of players on one team says this team has beaten us consistently and it's a, a huge emotional boost just to just to beat them. And, and in football, it's one game, so it's a little different. But think back to, you know, the the Sixers in 01. That, like they, I think it was two straight years they lost to the Pacers and then they beat them in 01 in the first round and the Pacers weren't as good. But that series alone, I think, was an um, emotional boost for the Sixers because they're like, all right, we beat the demon that is kind of, haunted us for a while. The Eagles in the early 2000s couldn't beat the Giants. And then they got past them and they've just been dominating them ever since. So while it's just one game and it's not going to have an impact on the standings, I agree with you that the the result of this game on Tuesday could impact how the Sixers feel after going down one nothing in Boston if that happens. Like this will be a moment where all of a sudden you go from saying, well, you know what? We lost game one, but we just beat these guys. They're going to come back home. You know, you could argue that the game before that was really close. The one where Tatum hit the game winning three, as opposed to, wow, we're 0-5 against this team this year. And then those frustrations that come with the baggage of past playoff losses really, really start to pile up. Like Joel, for as much as I think he's been extremely mature this year, 
of course there's a human element of him sitting there and going, you have to be kidding me. Like, here we go again. We can't beat the Celtics. We're down one Oh, who knows how that game plays out. So yeah, I think emotionally, this is a really, uh, a, a really big game for the Sixers. And I think to, to how I kind of started this pod, there's certain moments in the season where a large portion of the fans check in just to like say, all right, this is a big game. We'll watch. I think this is a big one from that too, from just the fan base gaining confidence back in this team after watching them just get smacked around by Milwaukee. Well, and think about too, I don't know if you remember this game specifically in 2019, again, they lost in round two. So it's not like this powered them to a title or anything, right? but end of the regular season, 2019, they played Boston in Philly late in the year and they won and they won in a way that was Jimmy was like the guy on the floor down the stretch of that game and i think a a big reason that you would have felt more confident in them going into the playoffs is that oh wow the sixers might finally have a dude that they can give it to when the chips are down or when it's tight end of games who can close it and there had been a bunch of those moments and doing that against boston even though that was you know boston was kind of in disarray that year but just to do that against that specific team because they've been such a thorn in their side, I thought that made at least a little bit of a difference heading to the playoffs. It's not the the reason that they won games in the playoffs. It's not the reason they were yeah. able to battle until game seven. But we've said it all throughout the year. You add all these, these memories, these moments, these games to your belt. You beat the Nuggets with a comeback. You beat Memphis despite Embiid having – you know, poor game. You beat Milwaukee with a big comeback. You have all these things that are just like in the back of your mind as you're in a huddle down 10 with like eight minutes left. And you say, all right, we've done this before. We've been here before. And I think one more you could add to that is just simply beat the Boston Celtics. (laughs) it's, It's been such a problem for them this year and historically, but that would be another one of those moments that you say, look, this is going to help them down the road, even if it's just a little bit. And this game does feel like the last real game of the regular season, like the last chance to really kind of get things going. Now, the ending with Brooklyn-Miami is is interesting because you can somewhat dictate who you might play, maybe. It seems like it's probably going to be Brooklyn, but you do have a chance there to potentially dictate things. Um, you know, picking games in the NBA one by one feels a little frivolous sometimes, but do you, I mean, do you think they beat Boston on Tuesday? I said on the pod last week they're going to lose to Milwaukee and beat Boston. So I'm going to stick by my gut from last week. Uh, I don't think they're not trending in a direction that makes me believe they're beating Mm -hmm. them, but I'm a man of my word. I'm not going to go back on it. I like it. Well, I change my mind literally all the time. So I'll, uh, I I think they, I also, by the way, there's nothing wrong with changing your mind. I think in in today, like how, how things operate on social media that if you flip flop on things that people get on your case, like it's okay to have an opinion, be proven wrong and say, okay, my opinion's not the same anymore. Like you can, as long as you're coming to that first opinion with like a real reason for it, Mm -hmm. I like, I don't ever, if you're being disingenuous or whatever, like that's a different story, but there's nothing wrong with thinking something and then, okay, I was wrong. So what move on. That's not the end of the world. And also to that point, I always think that like the content I dislike the most is when going into it, I feel like I know what you're going to say. Like if you're just sticking with that opinion because you've, you've had it for three years and now you're refusing to change your mind, like it's just, it's silly. And I think 
you know, that does happen with the Sixers somewhat, right? Like people are so locked in on the fact that they're going to let them down that uh, they're unwilling to change their mind and view them differently. But yeah, I a hundred percent agree. Like if I think of, if I think something in October and there's three months of game since then, how dumb would I have to be not to change my opinion based off new information? Hold on. October is only three months ago. That's, that's quite a no, calendar. That's right, you right. Wow. I was, <laughs> you know, it's so funny this morning. Um, I said to Chris and I was like, I can't believe it's April already. So October was what? Yeah. Like, Six months ago, six they're not, months ago, six, yeah, not six full months, but damn, man, <laughs> time flies. But no, I agree. Big into changing my mind. I always say the best minds are willing to change them. So you can steal that for uh, next time you get into, right. in, uh, including on how, how big the calendar is. That's, that's yes, exactly. Right. Right. I just changed my mind there. It was three months ago. Now it's six. Um, all right. The new CBA. I feel like do you have any other Sixers things before we get into the CBA? No. And okay. this, so keep in mind as we try to discuss the new CBA a little bit, and I'm going to pull up some stuff right now to do so. All this is still just like reported details. We right. don't actually know what the full shape of it is going to be. Uh, so that's just something as just a, a bit of context. Like, I don't know. Mm -hmm much beyond what has been thrown out there by various reporters at this point. So there's a few key elements that I think, again, this could change, but key elements of it I want to talk about. The first is, and I'd be curious if you agree this is <clears throat> the biggest one, but a game minimum to win NBA awards. I think, was it 64 games? 65, you have I believe, is the 65. Threshold. All right, so you have to play 65 games to win a, uh, to win MVP. What do you think of that? I, it already effectively existed in the first place. So I, I think it's bad in the sense that, look, if just a bunch of guys miss games for whatever reason, then you don't have the ability to say, all right, this guy's 64 was more valuable than this guy's 64. Like, mm -hmm. I, I think it should be, I don't think it should matter for things like All-Star. I think that's just, Whoever people want to see yeah. and all that, that's great. I do think there should be an availability element to MVP and all NBA and defensive player of the year. All the, the year end, like important awards. I absolutely agree, but it always has existed. There has mm -hmm. not been an MVP and maybe Joel is going to buck this trend this year. There has not been an MVP to play less than 70 games in a full season since Bill Walton did it in the seventies. And that was a really unique case. They were coming off of the Blazers had won the title over the Sixers, by the way, had mm -hmm. won four straight games in the finals. And they came out to start the next year and looked even better. Walton was like very clearly the best player in the league. I want to say when he went down, they were like 42 and 10 or something crazy record wise. Yeah. And so that was like, I get it. I understand why you give it to them there. It just doesn't happen. They always throw like with Joel specifically we've heard over and over again availability is a problem for him relative to you know Jokic or not Giannis this year because Giannis I think has actually played less games than Joel mm -hmm. but so I just think it's trying to solve a problem that doesn't actually exist when it comes to the awards voting now I guess you could say this just takes it out of the media's hands they don't you don't even factor in the the availability part, either they hit the qualifier or they didn't. And so that's freeing in some ways. But I still think if a guy plays 65 versus 80, I do think there are still going to be people who 
say sure. the guy who played 80 is just more valuable and that's still going to be a thing. So I, I just, I, and honestly, my big complaint on the details I've seen about the CBA in general is that they're fixing problems that don't actually exist in reality. Mm-hmm. And they might honestly be adding more issues than they're solving with what they're doing. So I didn't love that, but you know, I, I don't think it's like that big of a deal. Well, to your point, all that's going to happen is in the next, you know, hopefully once you get your well-deserved MVP vote and you're writing your column <laughs> or whoever, someone's just going to be like, look, they both met the minimum, but you know, Jokic played 73 and Embiid played 64. And that matters when you, you know, but like, so ultimately the MVP is a subjective award, unless we're going to just make it where, and I don't know if this is a great solution, but let's say they made it where whoever averages the most, most combined point rebounds assist on a top four team in their conference is eligible for like wins the award, right? Where there's just a clear line of like, this is what the MVP is until we do that it's always going to be subjective right now. Games played feels like a really big deal, mostly because people are mad because they, the perceive the perception is players take games off. And there is some truth to that, but I don't like the idea of in October to keep a running theme with the month of Joel Embiid, you know, being legitimately sitting there and going, "Mm, I could play. I couldn't play. Well, I better make sure I get to those 64 games. And he pushes himself. Like, I think it's always so easy for other people to tell athletes what they should do with their bodies in terms of whether they are ready to play, whether they should play, whether they want to push it, whether they don't. And so adding this just completely arbitrary 64 game number feels silly to me. And it feels like it's just going to result in players playing when they shouldn't be playing or players injuring themselves because they're not going, they're going to be pushing it. And it's, to your point about creating more problems, it's definitely not solving a problem. No one's going to write their MVP column and go, well, they met 64, so let's no longer discuss availability. Of course, it's always going to be discussed. That's part of it, right? It's a subjective award. And this happens a lot with MVP too, where we go, well, this guy won it five years ago for this reason, so why shouldn't this guy win it this year for that reason? You can always find reasons people win awards. At the end of the day, it's what those media members decide that year. So I don't like it. I don't think it should be in there. I, and I think it it doesn't solve any problems because people are still going to sit there and go, well, he played more games. And to me, or the, as, as a voter, that matters to me. Some voters won't care, some will. And that's not going to change your opinion on how you feel about it. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So here's a change that they made I actually liked. All MBA will be positionless now. And that is going to write one of the real crimes of the last two years, which is that Joel was runner up in MVP and then second team all well, NBA. Let me ask you this though. Do you think that voters are still going to try to build a team? Because I agree. It's no. like I mean, there will be some people who do. I think some people will just say, I'm gonna build it two guards, two forwards, that's what I mean. and center. But I, I don't think that's like across the board. And I do think the further we move into the future and the more that the more younger voters you get in who grew up in a world where the league is more positionless. Like, I don't, I don't think they give a shit about that stuff. Yeah. Like Jokic is essentially playing point guard for Denver, for example. So 
even like listing him as a the, as a center the same way you would list Joel is just kind of silly in many ways. Yeah. Like it's just arbitrary. So I do think there are some maybe more old school people or even like former players that are from, you know, more more recent eras, but not part of the era that's this like shape shifting. Mm-hmm. Every guy is six, eight and above type league that they'll say, no, I want I want a guard on my team and they'll vote it that way. But I it, it at least, to at least give them the option so we don't run into this false choice where it's either, well, I have to pick Jokic or I have to pick Embiid when like very clearly these guys are two of the top five players in the regular season in the, mm-hmm. in the league easily, like easily. They've been the top two MVP guys now and likely for the third straight year in a row. So to say that one of them is not worthy of first team all NBA. It's just a, a really silly thing that I'm glad that they're fixing in the sense that now you can at least make that choice. I, I agree with you. It'll be interesting to see if there's some years where it's like five guards or, or however it plays out. It should just be the five best players. I think that's what makes the most sense. Super quick tangent. You said Jokic is definitely one of the five best players in the league. I'm curious if you were a GM and you're sitting there at five in a draft of all the players, would you take Jokic as your first pick at five? At five? Yeah. Like, so I'm saying, so four players have gone. Let's say it's in some order Embiid, Giannis, whoever, to Luca, whoever. Like, would do you actually think Jokic is valued as a top five player in like where you, where he think would so? Go? Yeah. I mean, yeah. look, uh, he would not, for playoff specific reasons, I would have my concerns about him. But if you just get down to brass tacks, he makes their offense so good that yeah. in the regular season, their defense doesn't even really matter that much. Like they outscore teams by so much of them on the floor that it neutralizes all the defensive concerns. Now, mm-hmm. if we're talking about, you know, once you get to the playoffs and the game is slower and the defenses are better and all that and the margins shrink, yeah, then his flaws become a lot more apparent and they get punished easier and so on and so forth. Yeah. But if like if you're a GM and part of your job is just looking out for your own job security. <laughs> that guy is walking job security. Like they had nobody yeah. on their team last year and still won 48 games because he was so good on offense. So yeah. he's somebody that's going to give you a lot of leeway and a lot of flexibility to build, you know, other stuff. I do think the defensive concerns are a lot more limiting than you would think. And, and as far as roster building goes, but yeah, like, I think it, you'd have to be a, a pretty big hater and I like of Jokic to uh, to say that you're not the taking him up on five. five after he's averaging like a 24, 25 point triple double on the number one seed in the West. Um, no, you're probably right about that. But uh, so the other part of the CBA that I thought was interesting was that players are now going to be allowed to invest in teams, um, both NBA and WNBA teams, right? I'm not mistaken. Was that not reported? And they're also allowed to invest in uh, sports gambling, which is yeah. where I think it really is like going off the rails. I'm not, sure. and that's not to disparage sports gambling or anything like that, especially anyone who'd be sponsoring our uh, wonderful <laughs> podcast. But I, I am pretty concerned about where this is going, where it's like. So I actually think players should be allowed to gamble. We don't, I mean, this might turn into like a 15 minute debate, but I, I just think there's this perception that if they were allowed to gamble, it would, you know, they'd be throwing games and all this stuff. Ultimately their job security matters. I think more than the bets they would place, but 
for in terms of investing in teams, like, am I reading this right or understanding it that you could be an active player in the NBA and have an investment in a team? Like, like the Sixers could. It give seems Joel. crazy. Like, I, I don't. Well, what really if you got understand. traded? Like, what if you had an investment in the team and then you got traded? It's a great question, Alex. Right, like, what I would you have an answer okay. for you? I was part owner of the Sixers the playing for the Lakers. It might. So, the way it was worded, it might be a thing where you're more investing in. I'm trying to think of what to compare it to. Like, say you're investing in a in the stock market in like a an index fund where it's a bunch of different. It's like. Maybe there'll be like an NBA index fund and it's more like that. You're not, so it's not like LeBron's playing for the Lakers, but he's invested in the new Vegas expansion team. It's more LeBron's playing for the Lakers and he has, you know, X percent equity in this NBA index fund. And maybe that's how it works. That would make more sense to me than like, Hey, I own part of the team I'm playing for. And now I just got traded and I have to, I have to liquidate my shares. Or maybe like, or maybe the shares don't go to you until you retire. But I like, I don't even know how that would work either. Like, and I, I'll be curious to see how, if it turns into a negotiating, uh, a negotiating ploy. Like, yeah, we can offer you a max deal, but we'll also give you 3% of this, fr- like how that will play out. So I'd imagine to your point, once this all comes out clear, like, I don't think I'm the first person or we're the first people to think of these problems. I'm sure they've, they've thought about it. And, uh, and what it'll mean. But I thought that one was interesting. Um, the in-season tournament. Like, have you seen any reported details on that or how that'll work? It just seems like they're going to play normal games and give them some branding and they'll sell it to sponsors. And like all the teams? Or is it like... As far as I can tell, yeah. You're going to have yeah. pool play early in the season, which I don't know how you make that equal with, you know, if you're just yeah. playing normal games. If the Sixers play like the fucking Charlotte Hornets, and <laughs> the Bucks and Celtics play each other, or the Nuggets and Suns play each other, like those are not equal games that you're considering right. for. So I I don't know how you monitor that. And then you know we've had all these discussions about and this whole games played thing because the league is pissed about you know, load management and the yeah. fans are angry about it and we got to make sure guys play more games. Well, they had literally added an 83rd game to the season for whoever <laughs> goes to the final. Like, what are we doing? Like, yeah. The total opposite needs to happen. You need to play less games and for more of those games to be meaningful. And these guys have decided not only are we not going to do that, we're actually going to make sure that the team who competes the hardest actually has to play more games. That's the well, most absurd thing I've ever heard. What's going to be funny is in like three years when we're debating MVP and it's like, well, he met the games required. He was, you know, the most valuable player of the play in tournament or, you know, like the, whatever they end up calling it, the Kia playoff, whatever, like tournament, like people end up dictating these things based off this dumb tournament. Now, if you take look, it's a cherry on top. It's, Hey, he won the, that's what I mean. It's another one. Yeah. And then it'll be like a silver cup. Well, yeah, the Adam Silver Cup. What it'll turn into is like at the end of season saying, well, Joel Embiid's not clutch. It's like, well, he was great in the, you know, Kia midseason, whatever. Like, you know, where, where are you going to, or when we're d- discussing all-time great players. He is getting a lot of free advertising on this. I know. I'm trying to think of something I see a lot with, uh, with NBA, but it'll like at the end of careers, we'll be sitting here and going, so Embiid never won a title, but he does hold three in-season tournament championships. Like, how do you like even dictate that stuff? So 
It'll be interesting to see where that goes. Um, I'm trying to think what other CBA stuff. There was, there seems like well, a so tax. The, actually, the most meaningful stuff for the Sixers mm-hmm. seems to be the financial stuff, right? There are changes to how high spending teams can operate. Yeah. So my basic understanding of it is that once teams are a certain level over the apron of the tax line, you are no longer going to have access to the taxpayer mid-level exception, which is what they use to, or no, they did not use, they used the biannual on Daniel House and they used mm-hmm. the regular midsection, the mid-level exception <laughs> on PJ. But theoretically next year, they were going to have, that would be one of their you know main tools to try to sign somebody. Um, and I, I don't know why they're doing this other than they're trying to protect cheap ass owners in other markets. Mm-hmm. It strikes me as something, and there are other consequences too. If you go above this second apron, I believe you're not going to be able to send money in a trade. So yeah, essentially right. you can't buy a second round pick. There are some other stipulations as well. I, so it just seems like this is like giving owners an excuse to cheap out. Mm-hmm. And I don't like, like, look, I wish that life and the NBA were a level playing field and every owner spent the same and was willing to spend the same. And all it comes down to was basketball evaluation and things like that. And not, do you live in Miami or <laughs> is your team in LA? Like, right. stupid shit like that. But that's not the world we live in. And the world we live in is some owners say, I'm willing to pay an extra $150 million if it means my team has a chance to win a title or a better chance to win a title. And I think they should be like, that's what sports are about. Like you're rewarded for that. From the ownership level on down, you're willing to go the extra mile to try to put a winner on the floor. I don't think you should be essentially disincentivized to do that. I, I understand the league is trying to make it so that teams in the smaller markets with, you know, owners that are not as wealthy as the Steve Ballmers of the world can go out there and, and try to compete for titles. And, you know, maybe this has some interesting consequences for roster building that it, the teams that draft well, just have a better chance to win. I just, I think it, we'll see how it all shakes out, but I, I, I think it shouldn't be punitive if an owner says, yeah, I'm willing to spend whatever it takes to put the best team on the floor. Like, that's what you should want. Like, like if you're mm-hmm. a fan looking at the league or if you're a fan just looking at the team you root for, what you should want is an owner who says, I don't give a shit about the luxury tax. I'll pay that every year. I'll pay that as many years as it takes for us to win a championship. And then we can evaluate after. So I, I'm a little disappointed in that, but we'll see uh, what the rest of the player movement type stuff comes out when they ratify this well and it'll also and i i agree with everything you just say what just said there it'll also be interesting to see like when that starts because i think there's also a somewhat unfair competitive penalty if all of a sudden you go like by the way sixers new rule you can't use the thing you were planning on using next year like the sixers to a certain extent have made roster moves you know because i know the eagles do this like thinking about 2027 like maybe that's a little far out but so even if they, you know, agree to a new CBA and some of these new rules are instantly put into place, like the 64 game or 65 games, the uh, play in tournament or the mid season tournament, I do think there is some real like logical fairness to saying, okay, guys, you get two years to adjust to this because 
teams plan out like in this, and to your point that that was going to be a somewhat important chip for the Sixers in terms of adding someone to the roster. And now if they can't do it, that, that just seems unfair. It does for the reporting suggests that they're going to bring this in over time. So I yeah. don't think it shouldn't necessarily impact them right away. It could impact them, you know, three years down the road or whatever it is, but you know, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. I just, I don't like that. As an on-paper concept, we'll see yep. what the full picture looks like. I, I agree. Um, all right. So we did the sit. We've done a bunch of Sixers. We did the CBA stuff. Uh, Celtics, Tuesday night, big game. Um, we'll probably do a pot after. I know you had a wrestling take you wanted to fire off. but um, Yeah, wrestling yeah. stinks. And people who <laughs> like it as adults are fucking insane. Uh, like, <laughs> Maybe this is – I'm just such an outlier opinion among people my age, I think, because – I wouldn't say all my friends because a bunch of my close friend group did not really pay attention yeah. to it growing up. But I was one of the only people I knew that never had any sort of wrestling face. Was yeah, always just either. like, this is stupid. Why do you like this? Blah, blah, blah. And I've softened on that a little bit over time where it's, you know, if people get into reality TV and drama and whatever, it's sort of in that same wheelhouse. Yeah to an extent but dude it feels like it just never ends it's <laughs> maybe it's just the people i follow i need to like cut down on the amount of people yeah. i follow on twitter but whenever there's a wrestling event it's absolutely inescapable and these people are talking about it as if it's like a real sport happening and mm -hmm. don't get me wrong these guys and women for that matter put their bodies on the line they suffer real injuries and all that like it's a lot more physically demanding than a lot of haters would say haters yeah. like me but it's so fucking dumb dude it's, <laughs> a, it's a scripted sporting event like the whole reason to watch sports is because they're not scripted it's right like, i mean it's like totally flies in the face of why i enjoy sports so i don't know i just get bent out of shape about well it's like going to see a musical like it's no different which i saw a musical last week it was great uh, yeah. And again, like <laughs> I am in, like, I would go do that, but it's just funny. Cause I think if you said this, like a wrestling fan, like, Hey, do you want to go see like cats or Hamilton or whatever? They'd be like, nah, I don't, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm not into that. When literally you're just going to see a musical, like essentially without songs, like it, it's just a play, like what's going to happen is happening to your point about them being physical. Like, yeah, they're in shape, but they also are not really risking things too much. Cause they know exactly is what, what is going to happen, you know? Um, the other thing I think is really funny is when you see adults like seriously discuss wrestling, like seriously be like, you know, I can't believe this happened. Like get into like these four or five tw like tweet threads. At the end of the day, you like what you like. But yeah, I mean, like reality TV is far more real. Like reality TV, there are some scripted aspects for sure. But these uh, are. I'm not going to go that far. Well, they're at least real people. I'm not going to defend your shitty uh, well, pop culture you, consumption. You clearly haven't been following the Tom and Ariana uh, cheating oh scandal on Vanderpump. So, you know, that's way well, more real so than anything. I did see, I went uh, Phantom of the Operas in its final run on Broadway. Wow. So, Kendall and I went to see it last week, and it was I great. It. Well, like, why is it in its final run? Like, shouldn't that just. Well, it's so it's legitimately the longest running broadway musical of all time it's been on broadway for like 30 i don't make up it's a number like, like 36 cat, years right? or something crazy i don't i mean i don't they could probably run it forever but that's what I mean. it might be it might be how like my dad growing up would always make this joke 
that the who like the rock band right. did their farewell tour like seven times and so he's not going to see he's like right. it's just annoying at a certain point so it might you could look at it cynically and say maybe they're just trying to play this up for uh yeah. ticket sales and whatever but I, I think it's probably they'll take a break for you know a year two years whatever it is as often happens there will be a revival quote unquote and They'll be the back. Demand will be back, and but well, I will like, say it was worth going to see. I enjoyed it. All right, well maybe I'll go check it out. It would be like if they stopped doing like Annie or something. It's like why? Like are we gonna stop doing the Nutcracker at Christmas time? That just seems. I'm actually pretty passionately. I didn't even know it was happening, and now I'm like, this is the dumbest decision ever. But well, I'm unfortunately, you're not gonna be able to get tickets because it ends like this week. Well, we'll see what strings I can pull. But um, all right. So this is, and I'm not gonna pull strings for a panel. <laughs> but. All right, so this has been another episode of Clap Your Hands. We will probably be back, I would assume, Wednesday without knowing anybody else's schedule. But, you know, probably try to get after the Celtics game um, to talk about that one. So uh, until next time, man, uh, Elliot, Kyle, see you guys in the next episode. See you guys.